morning, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Hope you're doing well. I don't know about you, but I was um, thinking back to early jobs in my life. I've had a lot of jobs, y'all, like um, a lot of jobs. And one of my earliest jobs in high school was I was the breakfast cook for a fast food restaurant called Grandy's. And so I had to be there at 4.30 in the morning to open the place up and make the gravy. The gravy was very important, okay? Had to get the gravy right. So I had to get up at 3.45, and I was in high school, and that was the summer, but I didn't always go to bed until really late, you know? And so then you're getting up like a couple hours later. I remember I'm driving down the road, headed to work to Grandy's, 4 in the morning, 4.15 in the morning. I'm trying to stay awake. I've got the windows rolled down. I've got the music cranked up, and I'm like air drumming, you know, like just trying to keep it going, right? And then, um, you know, I got. A little, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm almost, we lived a little bit out of town. I'm like, I'm almost to town. I made it. Everything's going to be fine. And, and so I turned the music down just a little bit, kind of sat back, and I relaxed. And the next thing I know, the steering wheel is shaking in my hands. And I opened my eyes because I had fallen asleep at the wheel. I mean, doing like 60 miles an hour down the freeway. I'm completely off the freeway. I'm in the grassy median between uh, the other side of the freeway and uh, the side that I was on. And my car is like swooshing back and forth. And I thought, I'm going to die. And um, man, it was a moment. I waked up faster than I've ever woken up in my entire life. And by the grace of God, I was able to get my little car stopped so that I could sort of recover and go on down the road. But I tell you that story because I think it is very easy in our relationships to fall asleep at the wheel. It's very easy. Like when you first start dating somebody or whatever, you know, like, like you want to impress them. You want to put your best foot forward. Like you put out effort. Guys take showers. I mean, crazy stuff happens, you know, like, like, like there's all the, like you, you, you know, you, you find out maybe you don't even like sports, but you find out what sports team they like and you act like you like sports or you act like you care about half the stuff they're talking about. And you're like, whatever, but you like them and you're pursuing them and you're going after that relationship relationship, right? And then what inevitably kind of happens is like after you win the prize or you get married or whatever, like after you're together, it's easy to get lazy. It's easy to kind of turn the music down and just sort of sit back and coast. Before you know it, you have fallen asleep at the wheel and you're headed for a crash. So I'm going to talk to you today about how we can avoid falling asleep at the wheel in our relational life, not just romantically, but our friends, our kids, our family members, because we looked last week at how the quality of your life is set by the quality of your relationships. All the health and well-being studies agree on this. Like if your relationships are good, you can handle whatever life throws at you. If your relationships are bad or deteriorating, then man, it just makes it so much harder to deal with all the things coming at you. So we dived into the Song of Solomon last Last week, this amazing Cinderella story between Solomon and his bride, and we kind of began to look at this this love poem as it's broken down. And I want to pick it up, chapter one, beginning in verse seven. We'll bring the scripture up on the screen. But she's speaking. When we get to the red word, say it real loud here with me. But here's what she says. She says, "Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at what? At noon." So, I mean, you know, you read the Song of Solomon, you're like, what is this about? But here's what she's saying. 
Where are you going to be at lunch? Let's do a date. Let's hang out. You tell me where you're going to be, and I will meet you there at lunch. They're dating. They're pursuing each other. They are staying engaged in this relationship. They're putting effort in. They're being intentional. And that's what she's saying. Where are you going to be at noon? That's where I'll be, and we'll do a date together. Listen, dating isn't just how you find someone. Dating is how you keep someone. Dating isn't just how you find someone. It's how you keep someone. And some of us that have been together with somebody a long time, we're dead asleep at the wheel. We just don't know it yet because we haven't gone off the road, right? But we're like, we haven't been, some of you, you've been, man, you've been together so long, you can't remember the last date you went on. And I I mean, look, y'all, Target does not really count in my book. Like we went to the you know tar- we went to the grocery store together. That's good, right? We gotta keep dating and keep being intentional, not just with um, marriage and relationships, but our kids and even our relationship with God. So my first thought, if you want to um, not fall asleep at the wheel in your relationships, is this: keep dating, keep dating. Any of you ever been on a bad date? Really, really bad date? Yeah, man, I've been on some, been on a few of those. I saw this on social media. I thought this was pretty funny. This person says. Um, I went on a first date to the zoo, and at the gate, he asked if I wouldn't mind buying my own ticket. I said it was fine, at which point he pulled out a two-for-one coupon and went in for free. Come on! I don't care how cute he is. Run! By the way, the zoo chimed in on this, and they said, uh, hey, we'd like to give you two complimentary tickets for you to come back with a better date. Yes. Yes. Oh, man, it's crazy. Um, and some, you know, some of you, you, you're just kind of done with the whole dating thing altogether in your life. You're like, I'm, I'm finished with all of that, and you're perfectly content with where you're at. Do you know the Bible, Paul talks about how singleness is a gift, in the Bible? He says it's a gift. So being single does not mean that you're lacking anything or that you need anything or that you're somehow like second class because you're not married or whatever. Being single means you're operating in the spiritual gift that God has given you. Paul says that, you know, he celebrated being single because he could give himself to the glory of God and the purpose that he was called for in his life. He wasn't tied down as much with all the other things. So if you're single here today, I want, and, and, and you're single and content and happy and this is your lane and you love it, I just want you to know we love you. We affirm you. We have no expectations for you to get in a relationship or be married, nor do you need to even think about that. In fact, I would tell you, if you're content and happy being single, don't think about that. That'll mess your life up. Everybody says amen, right? Quietly, if you're sitting next to that person. It's real. Some of us are here and and maybe you're single, and maybe you're just, you know, you're, you're um, uh, open, you know, if God brings somebody along in your life, but you kind of wonder, like, how do I meet this person? After service last week, this lady goes, Pastor, my question is, like, how do I meet somebody to date in my life? And I said, well, most people do that online now. And she says, I'm not doing it online. I'm like, well, okay. Um, I said, well, this is my two cents. Like, basically, you want to be around people who are going the direction you want to go, who are sharing the faith that you already share, 
and who kind of are already seeing life the way you see it. And if you put yourself around people like that, then prayerfully, maybe God will bring somebody up, emerge, somebody will emerge in that community that could be, you know, a, 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 you know, a really powerful uh, person for you, a life partner for you in your life. But I said, I think you find that primarily in the church. And so I said, man, she says, where do I meet somebody? I said, well, you just hang around the church a lot. <laughs> hang around, man. And, and that's what Lori and I did. You just let God, all of a sudden, like, like we were just kind of serving God and doing our thing. And then I looked over, and there's Lori, and I'm like, hey, what's up? How you doing? I called her up, asked her out on a date, very first time. I was already kind of serving in ministry, which makes it really awkward. Can we just admit that? Like pastor guys asking you out on a date, what's happening here? And so I had dropped my pastoral pickup line. You ready for this? I called her up and I said, hey, I just want to know if I could take you out to coffee to encourage you. <laughs> oh. I've been encouraging her ever since, y'all. <laughs> But after those initial, you know, after those initial kind of season of dating, man, you just settle into life and you start adulting and you start dealing with mortgage payments and diff challenges and then kids enter the picture and, and you know, all the demands of life are kind of on you and, you know, the meme, there are all these memes about like what marriage is and, and one of them is like, you know, marriage is 90% sitting on the couch waiting for your significant other to get up so you can ask them to do something that you don't currently want to do. You're just like, if I sit here long enough, they'll get up first. Lori's the queen of this, by the way. I, I just move. Hey, could you, you know, like, I mean, and pretty soon, like, you're not dating, you're not really connecting, you're just trying to survive, and I think that's the motive. A lot of people would say their most creative date they ever went on was the day either they were proposed to or the day they proposed. It's like, that's the pinnacle, right? And now that I've captured the prize, well, we're done here. And then guys move on. Often guys move on to the next challenge, career, whatever, and they, they forget that, like, the most important thing is right there in front of them. So she says to the song, in the Song of Solomon, she says to Solomon, like, hey, let's get together at noon. Let's have a date. Solomon replies, he kind of teases her, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, um, he says this, if you don't know, O most beautiful woman, what? follow the trail of my flock. Basically, he's flirting with her. He's like, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going to be. Come find me. You're going to have to put some work in, right? You're going to, this isn't going to be so easy for you. You come find me. You follow the trail of the flock. And he says, you um, uh, graze your, go your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You're going to have to put a little effort in and then we'll, we'll get together. So he's flirting. He's laying it out. The truth is it takes some effort relationally to keep things going. It takes effort to stay connected even when you love somebody and to not fall asleep at the wheel. So I want to just encourage you, keep dating. Just keep dating. Maybe this week, set a time. Some of you haven't gone out on a date in so long. That person you're in a relationship with could have a stroke and fall over if you say like, hey, let's go out, just you and me. <laughs> CPR right there in the living room, you know, like. 
Just go out. You know, have some fun together. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to do elaborate things, but just get some time together. Lori and I, for years, on Fridays, I was off. And so um, every Friday morning, as soon as the kids went to school, like Friday was our day. And that was like the date kind of day. We did it in the mornings because we didn't want to pay for a sitter. But that was a whole other thing. It wasn't about me being cheap. I just, we had directed, we had directed money somewhere else than just uh, to spend it on more, more sitters. So we'd go out on Friday morning, hang out, walk around, spend time together. It was great. We've been talking about how we've got to be more intentional with that in our lives. Some of my best memories as a dad, as my kids grew over the years, was taking my daughter out on dates or going out with my son and just doing things together, going to concerts, getting ice cream, whatever they like, just being intentional about that relationship. And then I even think about about my parents, some of my favorite memories with my, my parents before they passed away would be like taking my mom out on a date and taking her out to eat and then taking her to the mall. I remember pushing her around in a wheelchair in the mall and she's like, you know, well, I don't need anything. Why am I here? And I'm like, you're here because I'm going to buy you whatever you want. Well, I don't want anything. Well, I don't care. I'm buying you something anyway. Like pick something, you know, like, but, but still like those moments of being intentional Dating, if you will, investing in those relationships, huge. Dating is not just how you find somebody. It's how you keep somebody. So keep dating. Here's another thought. Keep communicating. Keep communicating. If you want to strike fear in a guy's heart, then just have that significant woman in his life come in and say, we need to talk. <laughs> guys are like, oh, man, oh, boy, all right. Like, we know we're in trouble. We, we, we often kind of come at things very differently. Men and women are different, and just people are different. I mean, a woman walks in a closet and says, you know, I have nothing to wear, even though there's lots of clothes right around, right? And she means either, you know, like I have nothing appropriate to wear or nothing to wear that I like that fits right or nothing new to wear. But listen, if a guy walks in a closet, most guys, and they look around and they say, I have nothing to wear, that really means one thing. I have nothing clean to wear. <laughs> I could probably get by with this, but, you know, like a... Nothing clean to wear. I mean, you go in a guy's bathroom, your average guy, and there's like six items, you know, brush, toothpaste, toothbrush, maybe. A few. <laughs> you go in a, in, a, in a woman's bathroom, there's 237 items, and we don't even understand what they are, and they're everywhere, you know, like... It's very confusing and overwhelming. I'm just saying we're very different, and communication is what can keep that relationship going through all of the different ups and downs. And you see great communication in the Song of Solomon. Look at this. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Um, this is what he says. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How what? Beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Listen, you should be telling the ladies in your life, your daughters, your spouses, that they are beautiful again and again and again. And I, look, if, if your daughter doesn't hear it from you, then eventually she's going to look for it somewhere else. So you want to be the person that communicates it again and again and again into their life. And I would just, what I try to do in my own life, what I try to remind myself is, sometimes we think, well, you know, they know that we love them. We said that already, right? Over-communicate. Over-communicate to your kids. Over-communicate to your 
significant people in your life, let them know how you feel. And you see that happening in the Song of Solomon again and again. And he, uh, uh, she responds right back in chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. She says, you are so what? Handsome, my love. Pleasing beyond words. She comes right back at him. And guys appreciate that. Listen, pro tip. If you want your guy to do more chores around the house, then when you see him pull the trash up out of the trash bag, you'd be like, wow, look at my man. How handsome you are, slinging that trash. Nothing sexier than my man at the sink, unloading that dishwasher. My, nobody mows like my man. Now listen, we're simple creatures. That'll go a long way with us. Like, yeah, that's right. Check this out. Over-communicate how you feel. And then in communication, I think sometimes it's helpful to, to think about the different levels of communication. Uh, some researchers came up with sort of a simple framework to talk about different levels of how we communicate. And the first level, the simplest level, is just facts, right? This is where we just talk about like, you know, hey, what'd you do today? You know, well, I woke up. I went to school. Okay, facts. And the, temp the temptation is, you've been with somebody for a while, this becomes your whole life. Just dealing with the facts. Did you pay that bill? You go, did you go to the grocery store? You have this on your calendar? Facts. There's another level of communication, and that's where we start getting into feelings. And we talk about, you know, how we actually feel, like um, things that are going on inside of us, things that are actually kind of happening inside of us. And then there's even a deeper level here where we not only talk about facts and feelings, but we also start, we, we keep talking about dreams, where we're headed, where we're going, where we see our life in the years ahead. And my encouragement to you and to myself is this week, not only with romantically with somebody, but maybe with your kids too, like, like move past just the facts, right? And start talking about feeling like, what'd you do today that, that made you laugh? Did you do anything that, that made you, that was really frustrated you? Or, you know, were you sad today? Well, you know, like start getting into the realm of feelings and then even start getting into the realm of dreams. Talk again about where you see your life going, where you see the future, you know, what you pray for, what you're hoping for. The, and one of the ways we can get to this, you know, one of the things that I've often done is just ask people, like, what can I pray for you about your future? What are you hoping for? Right? People start sharing kind of their dreams. That's a deeper level of communication. But if you want to keep from falling asleep at the wheel, first, keep dating. Second, keep communicating. It's critical. And then third, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Now, the Song of Solomon is a little saucy. So much so that like Jewish rabbis down throughout the centuries um, wanted to limit the age of people that could actually access the material in the Song of Solomon. And there were different times throughout history where they actually suggested maybe, maybe people shouldn't read it at all. It's a little too saucy. I, and it's kind of like you can read it and be like, oh, no, it's not really that saucy. But look, it's like, it's like blues music. I love music, I love jazz and music history, and I love blues. And you can listen to a blues song, let's say from the 30s, okay, or the 20s. And um, let's say the lyric is like, come into my kitchen. And if I would have heard that initially, I'd think, well, they're just wanting to, we're going to cook together. <laughs> and then you do a little research on these lyrics and they have a secondary meaning, if you know what I'm saying. And come into my kitchen is about another kind of cooking. 
right? That's kind of the Song of Solomon. You read it, and the more you understand about it, the more you're like, oh, she said that? Wow. Anyway, chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, things start heating up. You know, they're getting physical, right? Um, look at this. Here, here, here's, what, here's what we read. Uh, she says, I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm, what? Embraces me. Now, ask Lori, like, like what she thought when, when she heard these words. And she thought, oh, well, you know, they're just snuggling. They're just embracing one another, women. I'm like, Lori, Marvin Gaye is playing in the background right now. This is going somewhere. Bro. I'm telling you, man, this is, this is about to get, you know what I'm saying. But that gets to like often a different way that we see things in our lives. Uh, Dr. Willard Harley's done a lot of research on kind of the needs of men and women, and everybody's different, so it doesn't apply to everybody, but, but what he found is the majority of men that he had worked with and surveyed over decades would say that their number one need in a marriage was sexual fulfillment. And then he, <laughs> did you just do that? Tell me you did not do that next to a lady. <laughs> you definitely not get any of that. I promise you that. It's going to be a while now. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What was I talking about? I don't know. <laughs> Dr. Willard Harley, sexual fulfillment. But he said that the number one need of women was affection. Affection. That's a <laughs> right. There it is. And guys are always like, well, I, yeah, man, I get that. Yeah, I'm affectionate. You know, I mean, I slap her on the backside, you know, and she walks by, right? Cat call her from the living room. I'm, that's a, what more do you want, man? Kiss her every now and then. Like, that's affection just overflowing. But she will tell you that affection is something else. You know, affection is holding her hand. Affection is making her feel safe. Affection is sitting next to her on the couch and holding her and cuddling her and not expecting it to go anywhere else, creating that kind of safe environment. You know, that's affection. And so when Lori reads the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 5, she's like, affection. When I read it, I'm like, Marvin Gaye. So, you know, we come at it from different perspectives. But the challenge in marriage is the temptation is to start making it about our needs at the exclusion of the person we're in a relationship with. And I know this is a very complicated area. And actually, that whole area of sexual intimacy in a, in a marriage and in a relationship is um, a landmine you know, for a lot of people. It gets all the PR because we live in this hyper-sexualized world. But the reality is it's one of the biggest struggles people have in navigating in relationships. And so... It's an issue. Paul talks about in Corinthians, he says um, that marriage and in this context of intimacy, he says it's really about serving one another and trying to meet one another's needs. And so maybe, you know, if we started looking at it a little less about just getting our needs met and more about serving their needs, it'd go a long way. In other words, guys, if you create an atmosphere of affection and you're intentional about creating an atmosphere of affection, you know, maybe it's going to go to some other places eventually a lot more often, perhaps, than if not. And I can promise you it won't if you don't. So, right? So we, we serve one another and we have that kind of perspective in our relationships. 
Song of Solomon chapter two, things are heating up. But then you get to verse seven, the very next verse, right after the verse we read, and there's like a commercial break. There's like a stop. It's like that scene you ever, you know, in a movie or a TV show where, um, like a TV show where things are heating up and, you know, like it's getting steamy and he puts his arm around her and they kiss each other and you're like, oh, clothes are about to come off. You know, here we are. And then it cuts, right? Cut to a commercial, right? Or cut to a different scene and you kind of use your imagination. That's what happens in the Song of Solomon. Chapter two, beginning of verse five and six, it's like heating up, you know, and all the, all the stuff. And then we get to chapter two, verse seven, and this is what we read. She addresses this third group in the book known as the young women of Jerusalem or the daughters of Jerusalem. It's like, stop. And she says, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is what? Right. right. Now, this is a phrase that is used three different times in the Song of Solomon. Every time um, it's used in the context of like sexual intimacy. And so what's happening is as things are kind of heating up in this book, she stops and it's almost like that moment in a TV show where they stop acting and they turn to the camera and speak to you as the listener, right? And they're like, hey, you know, I know what you're seeing here is like Marvin Gaye and all that, but listen, do not awaken love until the right time. In other words, there is a time for this and there is a time when this is not the most appropriate thing. And what she's doing is framing up to honor those boundaries. So let me speak to the young people in the room, the sons and daughters of Central. There is a right time to awaken love. There is a right time for sexual fulfillment. And the biblical challenge for thousands of years of biblical history is the right time is in the context of marriage and commitment for more than one reason. Uh, in fact, you're not going to hear that anywhere in our culture today, but you'll hear it in the church. And I, and I think God is in a cosmic killjoy. God invented this whole area in our lives. It's his idea. It's his plan, right? It's his thing. Um, and so he might know a few things that could help us manage this kind of area in our lives. I don't think he wants to take the joy out of it. I think he wants to save us the pain and the heartache that we go through when we disregard what he's teaching. And so think about it. When you start dating somebody, you're moving along and you start to develop a relationship and you're communicating and, and things are advancing and you're kind of laying an emotional foundation for the relationship to be together. But if you immediately jump into the sack together, you have the potential to shortchange all of that development and your relationship just becomes about sex. And sex has the power to over kind of overpower everything else in our lives and relationships. And so you don't really know this person. You kind of shortchanged a lot of that development and you jump right into the physical, which then overpowered you. Look, when you start to fall in love with somebody, your brain starts to chemically do wacky things. Like, like you're already like 20%, 30% of your brain shuts off. Boom. And then if you jump in the sack with somebody chemically, like, like the rest of your brain shuts off. So you're brain dead. People are walking around like, I think I found the one, you know, and your brain's like, beep, you know, like you're brain dead in that moment. You've lost perspective, right? And so it short changes. So here's what happens. We become sexual experts and emotional infants in how we relate to one another. 
And I think God wants to save us some of that heartache. Now, I know, like, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you want to hold their hand, you want to kiss them, all the hormones are flying. I'm not saying this is easy. And nor am I trying to guilt people or beat you up. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Look, we've all made mistakes in this area in our lives. God loves you. He can forgive you. He can restore you. He can work in your life. But just understand there is a right time to awaken this kind of love. And I don't think God's reasons are arbitrary in that. We can develop a more strong emotional foundation if we wait, and then we can kind of set ourselves up for a relationship that really lasts. Research shows that a relationship based primarily on sex won't last more than five years. And I think that's super generous, like really generous. You know, Anybody that's been married a long time will tell you that sex is not enough. It's not, I mean, it's great, not enough, right? There better be more to that relationship so that it keeps you together through the ups and downs as you move forward. So dating isn't just how you find somebody, it's how you keep somebody. The most important relationship in our lives isn't even our relationship with each other, it's our relationship with God. I had a friend that wrote me, and uh, she said, I used to cry myself to sleep, I was so lonely. And I was waiting on the knight on the white horse to come and rescue me. And then I realized that he was there the whole time, that he was Christ, and he was the one who would rescue me. She said, I've been putting conditions on what I needed in my life to be happy. And when I surrendered those, I finally experienced a peace that passed understanding. In fact, a lot of us, if you're single and you're praying that God will bring somebody into your life, sometimes you can put too much, too much pressure on that person to make you happy. Because the truth is, like, only God can fill that place in your life that he created. And if you'll look to him and seek him, he can fill that, and another person can come along, and they can be a part of that. But they're not your savior. Jesus is your savior. And look, if you're in a marriage, well, then you already know this other person can't fulfill every need that you have in your life, right? And so you turn to Jesus and realize he's the one that can really fill you and spiritually restore you. And then you can celebrate that relationship in a whole different way with somebody else. Dating isn't just how you find someone, it's how you keep someone. So this week, my challenge is keep dating. Go out, spend some time together, invest intentionally in those you love. Keep communicating. Maybe move it past just facts into feelings and into dreams and kind of talk about where things are going and keep the fire burning. Keep serving one another's needs, but don't awaken love until it's time. This is the challenge from the Song of Solomon to keep us from falling asleep at the wheel. Maybe you're here. Maybe you've never crossed the line of faith in your life. I'd love to give you that opportunity. I'd love to lead you through a simple prayer to just place your faith and your trust in Jesus and begin to follow him. And so would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're ready to take that step, you could just follow me in a simple prayer. You can repeat it out louder in your own heart and mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name.
Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you just to slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me just to say before God, to say to me, you're going to follow him in your life. God bless you guys. Thank you. Let's reach out to him today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I just thank you for each person just reaching out to you, trusting you. I pray you'll show up huge in their life. Forgive, restore, heal, empower. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you and serving you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.